0: Hey guys, Andrew Dowling here and Mitch Kurtz. Thanks for joining us for another
1: episode of the Ultimate Podcast. Make sure to hit like and subscribe because we've got heaps more content coming out and it's really fun and great and we love it all. Also very good.
0: <laughs> hey guys, Andrew Dowling here. Welcome back to another episode of the Altmed Podcast. It's going to be a great episode. I've got my usual trusty co-host, Mitch Kurtz in the G'day. house. How are you doing, Mitch? Well, um, <laughs> And someone we've wanted to have on the podcast for a while, very excited to have him here. Um, it is Professor Ian Brighthope, who is a qualified medical practitioner and agricultural scientist and is also the founder of the of ACNEM, the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine and a co-founder of the AMA, the Australasian Integrative Medicine Association. So probably hard to think of uh, someone more experienced to, um, to speak about Altmed med alternative medicines so without further ado i'm going to throw to you and um, welcome to the show um and yeah we'd love to hear a bit about your background and experience and how you found your way into this field
2: thanks andrew and uh, mitch and hello everybody out there <laughs> in, uh, in wonderland um i'm really happy to be with you guys the uh, it's um a, a real honor and i feel humble. uh talking about the things that are most important to me uh, and I think to the rest of the world. And that is uh, good uh, health or optimal health, the best of health, uh, well-being uh, and, uh, and wellness. Um, my latest uh, uh, invention has been the wonderful world of wellness. Um, or we call it the world of wellness or the wow. Uh, and it's uh, an educational platform and supportive platform for patients and the public um and uh it's going gangbusters out there in uh in the land of um of Oz. and I really have uh, put my retired heart into it um full time uh so uh my that's what I'm doing at the moment um going back uh to the start of it all I I guess it was my grandparent who uh full-on with regard to uh, nutrition and foods. My grandfather was a European chef uh, and he, I think, uh, he, well, he claims that he invented garlic, um, or at least uh, brought it into, uh, into Australia, introduced it to one of the posh hotels in the 19, late 1920s. Uh, and I think uh, it turned the posh hotel into, um, well, it certainly changed the uh, olfactory atmosphere in the hotel and, uh, People started to appreciate appreciating uh, a different sort of cooking, Uh, and so uh, it started there. And uh, I was brought up with uh, a huge variety of foods and uh, and various ingredients. And it was always emphasised that you got to stay active, get out and play on the road, play some cricket or do something, get active, uh, and watch what you're eating. And uh, here's a here's a toffee every now and again. You can have a toffee once a month. So that was, you know, that was an overload of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And now it's 120 pounds per head per animal more.
0: Yeah, I was going to say times have changed, haven't they?
2: Yeah, they certainly have, and so is uh, the uh, profile of the Australian public. Uh, public, or many of the Australian public. And that profile basically is is the big belly uh, mm. the and the dogs, that. But uh, I decided uh, that I was going to be a, a farmer. Uh, and so I did agricultural science. I thought I was going to dig up. I, I really enjoyed ag science. You know, learn about the um, soil, soil science, plants, plants crops, and pastures, um, horticulture, orcharding, uh, sheep and cattle, uh, pigs, pou- poultry, chooks, uh, the whole lot. You have a huge experience. Uh, agricultural engineering and surveying. You know, a great course, a great practical course. But it, uh, and after that, started doing some nutrition research with animals and designing foods for animals, and that's when I really got involved in trace elements and got an interest in uh, in copper, iron, selenium, uh, manganese, molybdenum, molybdenum and boron. All of these wonderful trace elements that people don't take very much notice of, didn't take very much notice of, uh, and it uh, some observations. I'll come back uh, a little bit later about um, observations where we. Were actually growing uh, selenium deficient carbs to produce white muscle disease and uh, these carbs with white muscle disease the white muscles uh, produced white veal of course uh, and white veal was popular in the restaurants and hotels in, uh, in, the, in the couple of cities at the time uh, but uh, when these poor animals were slaughtered um, they had massive hearts they had they suffered from what i discovered later in my medical studies cardiomegaly. um so when I was studying medicine, uh, the, the basic sciences in the first three years were fantastic. I loved the basic sciences. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Physics, chemistry, bi- uh, biology, mathematics, um, biochemistry, all of these fantastic. But when we started our clinical work, uh, we forgot about biochemistry because most people hated biochemistry. Uh, so all of the very basic major molecules and minor molecules involved in in keeping people alive and healthy were just forgotten about everybody wanted to study this magical stuff called pharmacology you know the the drugs that have this fantastic life-saving effect uh so in my fourth year i questioned a professor who was taking a ward round and there was a little old lady lying in bed she'd been operated on for cancer and in one arm, she was receiving a, an intravenous infusion of glucose and saline. And in the other arm, she was receiving some drugs. Um, and she was looking like she was wasting away. And I said to the prof, What about this lady's diet? Her state of nutrition doesn't look too good. And he said, Brighto, Dr. Brighthope, uh, we're treating cancer. Uh, it's got nothing to do with this, with this lady's uh, uh, position or situation. And I said, myself if this lady was an animal and she was worth ten thousand dollars as a stud pig bull ram we would be spending a fortune on this animal to keep it alive and we'd be doing everything to make sure its nutritional status was optimized so i said to myself i didn't say to him i said to myself i'm never going to be a doctor like you mate. i just Could not be a doctor like you. Mm. That was the the end of my uh, uh, desire to become an orthodox mainstream doctor. Although Mm. I did, and I studied, uh, you know, I did anesthetics and I did all the things that uh, orthodox doctors do for a period of time until such time as came across a few other people, not necessarily doctors, who were doing something different. Mm. So I thought that's so I traveled around the world looking at alternative systems. Um, of Healthcare discovered quite a few interesting things. Uh, we never went to medical school, and uh, it, it's
0: honestly, sorry to jump in here. I just, yeah. just hearing you say this, I, I find it just so fascinating to think that you know you would have possibly at that point in time, and you know, been in quite the minority of people just going, "Well, hang on a second, I think we've got this all wrong because you're basically wanting to just put everything into a silo." and look at everything in isolation. You know, we treat one cancer with one drug and it's not holistically linked in any way to the person's diet or any other environmental factors. It's, it's quite astounding that, you know, that just to think at a point in time, you were probably, you know, beating your head against the wall, trying to sort of get through to these people and say, look, if only it was this simple, you know, but but in, in fact, your analysis of of this patient and what this patient needs is incredibly reductive and overly simplistic. We, you know, we need to actually look at a whole other range of factors about this person. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I just, I, I find that just totally wild to me. It's, it's crazy.
2: Yes. It's like saying to uh, three researchers who have got nothing to do with one another in different parts of the world, um, we want you to uh, um, look at these uh, parts of uh, an elephant and, uh, uh, and study an elephant and learn as much as you possibly can. One gets an ear, one gets a trunk, and one gets a hoof. Yeah. <laughs> None <laughs> of them know what a real elephant looks like. <laughs> you've, you've seen one. Yeah. Uh, so that's reductionist reduction of science, and it's ridiculous. It's, it's, mm. it's not science. It's no. as far away from science as you can get. Mm. Uh, and, uh, diagnosing a patient with depression and prescribing an antidepressant chemical got nothing to do saying it's going to be uh, a major change in the uh, brain's chemistry when you take this uh, drug that's proven to be wrong and there's there's no evidence that uh, antidepressants have ever worked anyway Uh, it's 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 just a way of mean making money and you know the story about the the drug companies and the Mm. uh, industry and how they took over medical schools and and that's back in the 1930s and ever since then it's been the perfect business model for, for the greedy and the uh, aggressive and and, uh, and the nasty individuals in society. You only can think about uh, drugs. So if, you, if your doctor doesn't prescribe a pet, a diet, some exercise, and uh, perhaps some meditation, and all he prescribes is uh, pharmaceutical, then it's a drug pusher.
0: Mm. Well, I heard a great quote today. Um, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome, um, which think is quite apt for um a lot of those companies
2: <laughs> absolutely. yeah well mm. you know it hasn't it hasn't changed but we've come to a uh a, a turning point i think a fork in the road uh, where i think we can um make uh, take the opportunity to make some changes mm. the way healthcare is delivered uh,
0: Abs- absolutely well i mean you but, but returning to your because I, i'm thinking about how where we are now and and i you know it's it's there's this kind of recency bias and and a tendency to just look at at where we are now but where we are now is obviously the product of lots of work that came before and I'm just thinking about I wasn't aware until researching for this episode that you know you started the you know the Australasian um College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine back in the early 1980s is that have I got that right (laughs)
2: Yes, Andrew, uh, that's correct. But before that, we had the Molecular Medical Association of Australia, okay. OMAA, uh, and uh, I came in to the OMWA. It was basically a few people having chats about uh, giving people uh, vitamins uh, for uh, various diseases. Uh, and it wasn't really a, an organisation as such. So um, I, I became the secretary, put the organisation together, put the, the, the constitution together, uh, and It was based on automotive medicine, which is a term that was coined by Linus Pauling, the late uh, Professor Linus Pauling, who was a double Nobel Prize laureate uh, in chemistry and peace. Uh, Linus, uh, I got to know Linus um, a little later, but uh, his idea was that um, you can make people optimally healthy from a a physical and mental perspective by getting all of the molecules in the body uh, balanced and at the correct levels. And that's what we're always trying to do now. But also molecular medicine, uh, we went to the RACGP, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, to run some courses. They said yes, and we were really, really thrilled. Um, but uh, a couple of professors, and I won't name, name, name names, um, one is still alive, uh, said if you uh, Royal Australian College of General Practitioners do this course with OMWA. make you the laughing stock of all the specialist medical colleges Hmm. that that caused the split and i said okay after that i'll run the college myself and we changed the name from orthomolecular to the uh, australian nutritional medicine uh, the college of australian australian college of nutritional medicine and then we tagged on environmental medicine because you can't do the nutritional stuff without looking at the macro and the micro environment so that's how it started and uh, we ran, started running our own courses and it's been going ever since and training doctors and other healthcare professionals. Uh, but the doctors to fellowship standards so that they're equal in terms of their uh, qualifications and experience to any other specialist in the country. It was, uh, it's been a fun journey too. <laughs> <laughs> so and so
1: when, did it, when did it transition towards the medical cannabis sphere?
2: Oh, much, much later, only a few years ago. Okay. Uh, 2018, I think we did the first. uh, Agnum and uh, um, NIM and the uh, University of Western Sydney, uh, the uh, complementary medicines group there, uh, came together and did a a, a couple of courses. Uh, We got CPD points from the RACGP as well for those courses. Uh, And since then, um, there's been uh, constant interest amongst the doctors. still not big prescribers. They're still not convinced uh, or don't have the experience to use it. But, I mean, I I recommend it for nearly every patient now uh, Mm. uh, in various forms and combinations. Uh, uh, We can get back to that if you like. But um, the uh, medicinal cannabis, it it will take off uh, when we see more and more patients not being able to see doctors uh, and th- they'll be getting it through other means, either directly or indirectly from uh, the suppliers. Um, I think uh, there'll be a lot of self-prescribing, um, self-diagnosing. And I think that's a good thing because mm. we can keep people healthy with this very, very important sacred plant um, and its sacred ingredients. Uh, we're going to stop a lot of uh, suffering and yeah. Uh, People have gone through enough suffering with the uh, the way the, uh, the pandemic has been uh, created and managed.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, and we're and we're just sort of
1: coming through all of that. But uh, I think it's interesting. interesting. We, we, we did see um we did see a bit of a uh, few articles. I think it was it early this year about um, CBD and, and COVID and CBDA, I think in COVID and some of the uh, the emergent. Emerging literature that suggests there might be a a link between restricting some replication of, of the virus or things of this this kind of nature. Um, did you did you read about that?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, I think you know there, there's a very important role for the terpenes to play in all of this as well. Um, um, they are very important cofactors. Uh, but um and and it's nice to un- try and understand the different forms of uh, the cannabinoids whether CBD, CBDa, CBD THC, THCa uh mm. CBD uh, XY and Z whatever. It but yeah. you know I, I think um it's important to look at the strains of the plant. It's important more important to look at the patient because what we're trying to do is rebalance the endocannabinoid system which exists mm. in most of the organs of the body. And <clears throat> that is a system that's seriously disrupted um, by this, um, uh, by the coronavirus. Mm, okay. Seriously disrupted by the coronavirus, and even more seriously disrupted if patients have nutritional imbalances and different, uh, um, deficiencies when they mm. are attacked by the virus. Why do some people die from the virus and some people just have a, a, a sniffle or nothing at all? Yeah. It's got to do with genetics as well as the microenvironment of the cell and the uh, important trace elements and other compounds from derived from the diet that are, find themselves in the nucleus of the cell.
0: Well, what about yeah. um, the role of... I, I did hear, um, yes, yeah, so, you know, throughout the pandemic, um, people, I think there was a return to people just saying, look... Be as healthy as you can be in the sort of case where you're effectively, if you treat the, you know, treat the situation that it's inevitable that your time will come, you will at some point um be exposed to the virus. You know, you'd want to be as as healthy as you possibly can be to, to stave it off. But vitamin D, I kept hearing about, and I know you've had um you know, experience in, in the field of, of vitamins and, and complementary medicines. What can you tell us about, um, because I know some of our listeners may even um, take vitamin D supplements and other vitamins. Um, can you give us a bit of a nutshell on the role of vitamin D in, in the immune system?
2: Sure, Andrew. Before I do that, I'd like to go back to mm-hmm. uh, the the 1980s because it was during the period of the HIV AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. uh, pandemic, uh, where I... Developed honed my skills in terms of managing patients, not just with infectious disease or viral infectious disease, but also bacterial, uh, fungal, yeast, uh, as well as the unusual cancers that we saw in HIV AIDS patients. And mm-hmm. that's where I developed the um, skills with respect to uh, the use of high doses of certain nutrients, and in particular, um, high-dose uh, vitamin C intravenously. It saved many lives. Um, if your listeners want to get on, have a, have a look at some of this history. In my, my book on AIDS, uh, the protocols there are very similar to the protocols that everybody's re- recommending now for COVID, long COVID, et cetera. Of course, they're, they're modified because there's a lot more that's been learned. But uh, back in those days, my patients with HIV were staying alive. um, on AIDS as well were staying alive years longer than their friends who are on AZT as prescribed and determined by uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. wow,
0: so, yeah, so in, uh, just for context, your average um, vitamin C capsule or, or tablet that one gets from a chemist, I mean, uh, how many milligrams is that? And then what are we talking for an intravenous um, infusion at a, at a hospital of, of vitamin C?
2: Well, the, the biggest uh, vitamin C tablets contain a thousand milligrams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, for example, uh, if you folk have a look at uh, what we've got on our site, uh, as um, the dairy farmer in New Zealand who was on uh, full life support, we call it ECMO or extracorporeal um, membrane oxygenation, which is where you take blood out of the body, oxygenate it, clean it, and pump it back in. Uh, he was on uh, ECMO for six weeks and um, uh, he had uh, lung failure, kidney failure, and hairy cell leukemia. And uh, the experts around the world said, there's no way this guy is going to live. Well, uh, I was contacted, I think somebody else from New Zealand, one of my colleagues over there. We decided to give him 100 grams, which is 100 of those 1,000 milligram tablets, equivalent has 24 hours.
1: And after three days
2: on the IVC, his lungs started to show black spots again. That means mm. the lungs were aerated. And, wow. Uh, so this guy came off. Uh, he's still alive. And uh, this is probably about 12, 13 years later now. That's uh,
0: incredible. And,
2: and, yeah, it is. I mean, and that was also done by, to, to somebody dying on a ventilator here in Melbourne, at the Austin Hospital, Professor Ronaldo Valamo gave the patient 30 grams, patient with COVID, very sick, in. Uh, sepsis, which means you're, you're almost... At the end
0: of That's a, a blood infection, isn't it?
2: Yes. It yeah. is. uh, well, shock uh, means every every organ in the body uh, mm. is starting to fail. You know? So yeah. they, they, they just stop working. And yeah. uh, There are particular signs that you look at clinically when you see shock. So he gave a 30 gram uh, dose to this fellow and the fellow survived. Uh, now, why they didn't continue doing that in intensive care in this country uh, is because the drug companies are determining the protocols by the studies that they run mm. that's the that, that i mean i can I, i've had arguments with um barristers from hospitals as well as the intensive care specialists in front of supreme court judge mm. uh, in the middle of the night on a zoom trying to save a patient's life you yeah know, they're so bloody-minded they won't do it well it's it's so, uh,
0: yeah the whole you're you're absolutely right that the yeah, the response to it was very much, you know, very one track mind. And and I, I I think, um, yeah, I, I just, I, we, there will be so much to unpack in, in years to come about what we got right, what we didn't get right. Um, but I certainly, I think that the, the one thing that really dawned on, on me is that there, there's obviously, you know, your health to some extent, there are, you, there are aspects of it which you can control we can each control how much sleep we get each night what food we put into our bodies these sorts of things and i i think in a weird way i, I just noticed in my friends and family network I, I think it gave people a moment to pause and really think about um what they were doing day to day to, to keep themselves healthy um so I, I suppose that was one corollary benefit um <laughs> but but yeah returning to um to with with cannabis, uh, you, you said before you're 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 a I'd say a true believer, and myself included, um, having you know spoken to many people who it has helped. Um, what what kind of I guess what's your area of interest? Do you work with the whole plant, or do, are you tending to to prescribe more THC CBD? What's what's your sort of your interest?
2: Well, uh, I'm. Uh... Only, I'm only uh, helping doctors to treat patients now because I'm retired and mm-hmm. uh, I had my resignation. Oh, my, my, I resigned from uh, the, uh, the profession some time ago. Uh, sometimes I regret having done that, but uh, at, at other times I, I'm happy to uh, prescribe uh, or, or recommend uh, the doctors prescribe certain things for patients. Um, uh We'll we'll come back to the question about the vitamin D a little bit later because that that was I, I deviated to, to, to try and bring back the story of how uh, we came to um, recommending the C D and zinc in particular mm-hmm. for COVID and prevention of COVID and treatment of COVID and we were the first to do it here in Australia the and Amer- the the rest of the world copied us. My mm-hmm. um, they weren't far behind, but uh, they actually copied us, but. When um, people are severely infected with COVID, as I mentioned before, the, the, the virus affects virtually every system in the body that's supplied with blood. Mm. So every system in the body is affected. Uh, the nervous system, the brain, the spinal cord, the immune system, the glands, the heart, the lungs, skin, everything. But it depends on the way the virus is starting to produce the spike protein and the peptides from that spike protein, exactly how the patient presents. So they get infected if they low in these three critical nutrients, C, D, and zinc. Mm. They, if you've got adequate supplies of those, then you've got a, a, a fortress that can fight the virus. You've got the moat, you've got the healthy mucus, you've got the healthy um, epithelial cells. Very difficult for the virus to get into your system if you've got healthy mucus and healthy epithelial cells. Mm. Once it's in there, of course, you've got vitamin C that uh, helps the killer cells to to knock them off by producing peroxides and so on. Mm. Um, This is,
0: by the way, all uh, very much in contrast to, I had somebody once tell me that vitamins, a waste of money and all they give you is expensive urine um i <laughs> don't know if you um they you know if you have a kind of like life, that I, I i i am sure you would reject um wholesale that view but um
2: yeah. well, no, no, if i if i wanted to make a lot of money i'd go go to the uh the sewage plant and collect all the urine yeah well, <laughs> making expensive urine why not <laughs> i mean these these i mean these people are, uh, I mean, it's beyond a joke the way they think. I mean, there, mm. there's no logic. Uh, there's yeah. no clear, there's no critical thinking in, in, in mm. comments like that, Andrew. Uh and you know, I bypass that every time, all the time I bypass that. But um, uh Well, and then yeah.
0: exactly to your point where you can actually you can do the baseline testing on two COVID patients, see what the vitamin C, D, and zinc levels are in in, in each of these patients and, and actually have a, a good understanding of how that will impact immune response to the virus um so yeah i sorry i, I interrupted but um, no, it's, it's yeah we, so, we
2: actually we actually did a study in turkey uh it was an australian registered study um it was funded by the reinhardt foundation gina reinhardt mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the, the study showed quite quite clearly that if you had a uh, you you would never end up in hospital if your vitamin D levels were above one hundred nanomoles per liter. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, you can still, but I mean, I'm just I'm trying to make it fairly clear. If you if your levels are below seventy nanomoles per liter, then you can get sick and end up in hospital. If they're below thirty, you can end up in uh, very sick and end up in intensive care. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one patient who came into hospital with a level below 10 uh, and she died.
0: Yeah.
2: So the patients who ended up in intensive care, uh, if they were given intravenous vitamin C, they recovered much quicker and are out of intensive care and hospital at a much faster rate. And yeah. you, know, you save, vita- uh, save lives with the intravenous vitamin C. Really, they should be given at the door of the hospital so the patient doesn't even have to get admitted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah only for a very short period of time. Uh, The profession needs to wake up. uh, The government needs to wake up. uh, And we need to push the drug companies to the side and and ignore the, I have to say it, and it's crude, but the crap studies that they do on crap substances that uh, produce crap outcomes for the whole population of the globe.
0: Yeah. And they're not, I mean, yeah, they're they're privately funded. They're not not publicly funded studies. They, you know, they're just clearly um as i say you know show me the incentive i'll show you the outcome i return to that but it, it's it's i suppose one of the um interesting aspects though is people would be thinking well it's one thing to buy vitamin c or my supplements as, as part of a, my you know holistic um approach to, to looking after my health but when we're talking about intravenous just so i'm clear on this is that something you would need a prescription for To if, if somebody wanted to, you know, go the whole hog and then actually really up their vitamin C, D levels, that, that that's something intravenously you need a prescription for, right?
2: Well, you, 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 theoretically, you do. You need to, to have a doctor prescribe it. That's mm-hmm. the way of doing it. And of course, nurses can administer it once the doctor's prescribed it. Uh, and I had a number of clinics here in Melbourne where we were doing it. I, I regret sometimes having closed them down and, and they retired. But um but uh, there are centers popping up, giving intravenous vitamin C. They're charging a fortune for it. They don't need to charge as much as they They are charging people. People do, do deserve to have a high dose intravenous vitamin C at a reasonable price. In fact, it should be subsidized by the, by the government. The mm. government steals our money and, uh, uh, transfers wealth to create uh, another hundred billionaires in Australia, and uh, hmm. um, Mr. I was Gates. going to say
0: that when you think about the cost of the PBS, for example, and and the amount of money that gets funneled through that, to you know, it's it's yeah, there, there really is. We at least know that the money is available to to you know, it's it, it could be reallocated to these sort of just general health and well being um, measures, but. That's very good
2: that's where it should be going to keep people out of the doctor surgeries to keep people out of hospital, you know, but, and
0: when they do, but uh, okay. I have to ask, given your, you know, your extensive experience, what, what do you, what, how do you rate? um, I suppose the, cause everyone listening to this podcast has, has you know, been to see their GP and, and where is it at now in terms of the delivery of, of health services from your, I guess your unique perspective as someone that's been involved in, um, you know, natural and, and integrative medicines. Uh, does that get a look in? Is it, is it? Is it? How dependent is it on who you see? Should patients be thinking more critically about that? What, how do you assess the landscape?
2: Uh, patients, I think people uh, need to have better education with regard to healthcare, uh, mm. and that starts it should start at uh, babyhood, should start with mums and and babies and dads and babies, and uh, and at school as well. The schools and the teachers need to, to be educated and informed about healthcare because what we call healthcare is not healthcare. It's medical care, it's hospital care, it's a prescription of drugs, it's a prescription of surgery, radiotherapy, uh, putting people into hospital and, uh, and diagnosing through pathology and radiology. That's not healthcare, that's medical care. Healthcare is what the complementary medicine people are doing the naturopaths, the chiropractors, uh, the osteopaths, the herbalists, the acupuncturists, all those good people out there who are saving the the country hundreds of millions of dollars a year by preventing them from getting sick or Mm -hmm. making them healthy and not having to go on drugs that the doctor will give them that will make them sick, uh, sick Mm -hmm. enough to go on to more drugs to stop these side effects or to to treat the side effects of the drugs that they go on to. Now, this is nothing new. I'm not preaching anything new, but I've been experienced. I'm forty. Aknem is now 42 years old, uh, and uh, I've been uh, involved right from the beginning uh, training doctors to think differently and only about 5% of doctors could, can actually critically think, think outside the square, because their, their brains are actually fixed. Even before they go into medicine, the, the, uh, the gold standard uh, of treatment is to make a diagnosis uh, and prescribe a drug. Uh, and the, the standard of uh, prevention, according to, I won't mention his name, but he's an old professor, uh, the, the um, most important parts of prevention in this country were stopping smoking, wearing seatbelts and vaccination or mm. well, smoking and seatbelts fine uh where where was nutrition or exercise nowhere mm. you know uh and vaccination uh I'm uh, the government has forced me to become an anti-vaxxer
0: mm. well yeah I, I think uh and this is this is the thing is that you know that that label was around before COVID and I think it's kind of morphed into something new now that that doesn't quite strike me as as what it was pre covid but i I th- just on the point though
2: I is really somebody who is against human experimentation without informed consent,
0: yeah, well that that's sort of I think where it's it's strayed into, but I think previously where we had effective vaccines, somebody who you know outwardly didn't want that would earn that tag um but yeah it's 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 interesting uh, you know it's the the way that that particular part, it's it's yeah it's it's uh
2: no, no, don't get me wrong andrew i'm going to qualify what i just said mm. uh i'm in favor of the polio vaccine yes it was well made and safe and, and and pure uh and a couple of other vaccines but we're we're overdoing the vaccine mm. with children and mm. babies uh, and that is bastardizing their immune system yeah uh, so so when
1: we talk about Cannabis, in terms of something like COVID, do you see it as more of a preventative measure or something that is more of like a treatment in a certain way? Both. Yeah. Both. So yeah. you just get get it in, you,
2: Basically, is the yeah. if let's say, for example, we've got COVID, a nasty virus going around, uh, and the doctors and the health, uh, the public health prof, uh, profession, uh, epidemiologists, and government start frightening everybody. Uh, everybody starts getting anxious. And if there's everybody's getting anxious, uh, that suppresses the immune system enormously. Stress is one of the worst things. And or they start drinking more or smoking more or doing things that are not good for their health. Uh, and to relieve that anxiety and to keep the, the system in balance, the best thing I know of, apart from vitamin C and, and a few other nutrients, is the medicinal cannabis. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we produce our own endocannabinoids, Uh, through exercise and heat. And um, uh, if we're pumping out a lot of cortisol, we've got the stress hormones pumping around in our system and they also upset our receptors. And coming back to COVID and non-COVID, there's disruption of the receptors, there's disruption of the ability to produce anandamine and 2-AG and other cannabinoid-type substances. Uh, So not only do we have a a deficiency of endocannabinoids, but we have uh, damage to the receptors. Nearly every receptor in the body is damaged under stress, uh, viral infection, bacterial infection, uh, irradiation, drugs, alcohol, um, uh, to what degree, it depends on the uh, severity of the infection, which determines the, the degree of damage done to the microenvironment of the cells, and then uh, that in turn uh, is reflected in the clinical presentation and if it goes on too too long you end up with the it. so-called I don't like the term but the cytokine storm uh, where cytokines signs come out of your white blood cells uh, and start um, damaging other tissues and producing inflammatory responses etc hmm. it.
1: it's it's interesting to hear you say you know um basically the, the endocannabinoid system could be out of whack due to drugs and then you'd have some people saying well isn't cannabis a drug could it not contribute to that um so so,
2: but so take, it,
1: is it okay well I just
2: I
0: only want to test this because you know the the, the line would be well the, it's a pharmacologically active substance to that extent you know, and the fact that it has a human therapeutic or a therapeutic use, not just in humans, um, can we not say that it's a drug? What what dis- what differentiates? You, you mean in the
1: recreational sense?
2: Uh, if you talk about the recreational sense, that's different. Okay, talking, sorry, yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about the smoking of uh, weed. I'm yeah. talking about taking in pure cannabinoids mm-hmm. uh, and pure terpenes. Uh, let, let's have a look at that 7.30 report where the father was illegally growing cannabis for his two daughters, both sure. of whom had uh, um, Crohn's disease, severe Crohn's disease, and one was nearly dying from it. Uh, a yeah. very, very young lady. And uh, he was juicing it. So he was using it as a vegetable and making a vegetable juice and and, uh, and giving it to them. And uh, I met the, the, uh, the sickest daughter at a uh, talk I was giving. Uh, and she's in very good health and swears by it. So yeah. they're using it as nutrients. The yes, nutrients. Um, I see what, you're yeah. uh, and d- be- what do you And what do we mean by a pharmacological action? Uh, it's, a, it's an action due to a pharmacological drug that has a physiological effect. It's a benefit to an individual. When we talk about a, a nutritional uh, or a reaction to a nutrient, uh, it's very similar, but usually it, it, it's not a blocking effect like most pharmaceutical drugs. It's mm-hmm. actually uh, a modulating or stimulating effect. Or yes. A normalizing effect, if you like. Um, that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Same with uh, high-dose intravenous vitamin C. It basically means you've been very low in some of your critical antioxidants when your need for high-dose of intravenous vitamin C is required. And basically, vitamin C is not a, an antioxidant. It's not a, a, redu- it's not a reducing agent. It's of both. So it, all it does is transfer electrons from a, one point to another point and then dump them um, somewhere where they're not going to do any damage. Mm. you've got un- the unpaired electrons disappearing from the system. And that, it's a flash redu- redu- redox reagent, if you like, when you in- in- inject them. You've seen somebody say, for with the adult, uh, very deadly adult uh, chicken pox or herpes simplex or shingles. Uh, let's take the case of the uh, adult chicken pox. A 21-year-old with lesions down her trachea, lesions down her esophagus, all over her face and body, uh, could hardly talk, could hardly even sip on water, and having difficulty breathing. Really, that's an emergency, because you can die very quickly from uh, adult chickenpox if it goes into the lungs and causes pneumonia. Um... I gave her some B vitamins, but a massive dose of intravenous vitamin C and said go to the infectious diseases hospital straight away and I, I rang them to admit her. That was, I think, around about 9 o'clock at night. forget the, the exact times, but the next morning I was in clinic and she came into the clinic. No more new lesions. She was swallowing, she was breathing all right, uh, and the old lesions were all drying up. When you see something like that as a as a, a clinician. Um, it's almost like a miracle. You don't see that normally in medicine. Yeah. It's it's almost a miracle. And what you're doing is you're using a nutrient. Yeah, we could say it's in a, at a pharmacological dose, but I don't like the term pharmacological dose because when you talk about pharmacology and pharma, you know, pharmaceuticals, you're talking about drugs. Mm. They're toxic drugs. Well, you know, I was told that vitamin C was toxic to the kidneys if you took any more than 100 milligrams. That was by a professor of nutrition in this country back in the 80s and 90s. We were taught that. We were taught it would cause kidney damage. 100 milligrams. Well, I've given 200,000 milligrams, over 200,000 milligrams in a 24-hour period to an HIV AIDS patient who was very sick. No kidney damage. Mm. No kidney. I mean, these myths have got to be busted.
0: Yeah, well, I was gonna say that and no kidney damage and no accountability for that patently false claim um, from the person who made it. I also just while we've been talking, I was thinking as well about um just when you took us to you know the the difficulties with act you know, people needing to take control of their health and and these sorts of things. Do you do you think that part of the problem also is that doctors have become reluctant to, I guess, you know, be a little bit more stern with patients about, you know, look, how much sleep are you getting? That's not enough. Or, you know, what are you eating at the moment? That's not good for you. Do, do you think there's a reluctance from the medical profession to not, you know, quote unquote, cast judgments about a person's lifestyle choices? Is that something that when you were working as a doctor, you felt reluctant to do, or did, did you not mind saying to someone, Hey, you're overweight, you need to start running.
2: Well, Andrew, when you're working as a doctor, got, <laughs> I, I, I've got a different face on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, I've got, when I'm talking to you guys, I, I'm you know, out there and I'll tell you what the facts are. Yeah. Uh, facts as I see them and my experience as I've, I've experienced mm-hmm. it. But when you're with a patient in front of you, you're soft and gentle, you're counseling. You know, you, you're behaving like a physician, a, a healer, uh, a doctor, a teacher. Uh, and it depends on the individual, you know. Um, uh, and you sometimes want to do so much for them, but because you because you know that they will kick back or fight back or find it difficult to do what you're asking them to do, you've got to do it in stages and steps and get, and, and get their confidence, you know. Um, sometimes I used to say, look, uh, the, the, I don't really know what, the the problem is we'll have do some tests and we'll have a look. But why don't you try an injection of vitamin B? And see if that helps to pick you up. And quite often a, a high potency B vitamin injection, just simple, you know, nothing nothing brilliant, will make people feel better. And so you've got their confidence. So well, I gave you some nutrients. I think you've got some nutritional deficiencies. Maybe we should look at you know a, a slight change in your diet. Get rid of sugar because that um, destroys your, your B vitamins um, stop let's reduce the alcohol because that destroys your B vitamins as well we'll give you some. we'll give you some nutrients for your heart or whatever the problem is and uh, let's see what we can do and it's going to be slow some people are ready for this and others are not yeah it's like, it's like covid so many people uh, have been brainwashed um, by the authorities by the and the authorities have been brainwashed by the drug companies the drug companies have got some very, very clever ways of manipulating um, uh, politicians. Mm. In fact, they they have the best salesmen in the world, best marketers mm. in the world, um, and so everybody is fooled.
0: Mm. The wool, but the wool has been lifted. I think in in some respects. I I, I wanted to say though, it, do you think that getting vitamins naturally will always trump getting them? You know, intravenously. I, I know oh, it's absolutely. impossible to yeah. to get a doses, a intravenous doses, naturally. But I don't know how many oranges one needs to eat to um to get yeah, two hundred no.
2: milligrams. Oh. But yeah. Yeah. no, no. Uh, uh, we're using we're using large doses of some mm. for particular reasons. And let me say, for example, if you've been a chronic drinker, um, you actually destroy it a lot of tissues with alcohol. And one of my colleagues who's passed away now, Abram Hoffer, he came up with the term, a vitamin dependency state, because he was one of the first who was looking at vitamin B3, nicotinic acid, and cholesterol and finding that nicotinic acid, vitamin B3, reduces cholesterol, reduces your risk of heart disease and stroke and so on. But in the old guys, uh, the old veterans from the war, this was in Canada, and they were double-blind studies. He was looking at um, the cholesterol, but just a side effect of that was the high doses of B three he was giving to reduce their cholesterol actually helped their mental state, helped their cognition, helped their moods, improved their moods, um, stopped them getting depressed, stopped them getting angry. Uh, so. That was a side effect of vitamin B three. So he started using it in higher doses in patients with schizophrenia, and found that some patients with schizophrenia had a dependency dependency on a high dose of vitamin B three. Right.
1: Sounds like the most uh, Australian thing ever. The high high dose of vitamin B is uh, giving the mother's milk with Vegemite, I believe, as we grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's extremely you, interesting.
2: You're you a little Vegemite, huh? Uh,
1: not a little, a lot actually oh, no, yeah.
2: well, I thought you were because, you know, number one <laughs> yeah. You're not bad, number two, you seem to be pretty intelligent so. oh,
1: I, I, I actually want it added to the complimentary medicines uh, list uh, <laughs> this, this is what I'm going <laughs> for
2: Oh God help us You know, if the, if, the, uh, if the powers that be want to put an ostel number on the on Vegemite job, We're going to be paying three times more for our Vegemite than we are now <laughs> P- PBS funded. PBS. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. What about the toast you put it on? Yeah.
1: I I've I know a few uh, a few pharmacies that might actually sell me some.
2: No, uh, no. no, Compound toast Coming back to your, your your question before, Andrew, about look, food has to have as much in it as possible. You've got to have the greatest variety of foods uh, that you possibly can, unprocessed fresh, wholesome, preferably organic foods. And then uh, you probably won't get sick if you exercise, you meditate and you drink pure, clean water and you breathe fresh air Um, and and you look after your genes. Unfortunately, um, most of us have um, done the wrong thing in one way or another with our lifestyle. Uh, And every time you abuse yourself, there's going to be Uh, a payback. It might be 20 years before a high intake of uh, sugar, for example, uh, causes metabolic syndrome, obesity, diabetes. Uh, uh, I mean, the professor I talked about before of nutrition at one obesity conference in the 1980s, late 1980s, uh, told the audience that when I asked the question, sugar's got nothing to do with that. obesity. Sugar doesn't cause dental caries. Wow. Sugar doesn't cause diabetes. That, to me, I mean, when you've got diabetes, you've got to avoid refined carbohydrates because your sugar goes up. More mm. stress on it. I mean, what happens when you don't have diabetes and you consume a huge amount of sugar? eventually the pancreas the islet cells we're out
1: they yeah
2: wear out. it's always
1: concerned me that that science becomes debatable even though it's really not if that makes sense you know that it's it is keenly contested out there depending on who you speak to but at the same time it inherently has a single truth if that makes sense
2: it does make a lot of sense uh, mitch uh but always uh Science should be debatable without debate about science. Sure. Uh, we, don't, we don't have uh, the freedom. No, that's, uh,
1: that's what's, what's happened.
2: Not true. That's what's happened with this pandemic. The, 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 the profession that I belong to have been shut up. Uh, many of my colleagues have been suspended because mm-hmm. they've written exemptions um, or they've said that the uh, there are serious side effects from the vaccines. Uh, I had a meeting with a couple of them the other day, uh, earlier this week on Monday, the a senior a person from a, a very well-known institute in Melbourne uh, and the Dean of the Faculty of Law, collecting evidence uh, about the adverse reactions of the, uh, the vaccines uh, and the mismanagement of the pandemic for a Royal Commission that's been drafted. Um, mm. There's going to be a lot of stuff happening. Mm. This is where we see how science has been misused and abused.
0: Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's it's been just heavily politicized. Um, that's the, I think people who you know might see the pandemic response from all different angles. I think there would hopefully be a consensus at least that we can understand that. Yeah, science was really dragged into mainstream politics for a good couple of years, and I'm not sure if we've actually left that phase yet. But um, but anyway, we'll see what what comes up. But um I don't
2: think we're gonna leave it for the next couple of generations, Andrew. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's going to go on and on and on. Um I dare I... say
1: we'll have another another large pandemic event before we even get to the next few generations. It's just
2: mm-hmm. seems to be the way it'll go. Well that's the, that's that's all part of the I don't want to get onto the Great Reset, but that's 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 the way this last pandemic was designed. Um
1: well, thinking about the future, what do you think the the role for alternative medicine is in the future? Whether that's cannabis or uh, potentially other medicines that we talk about occasionally, you know, like uh...
2: medicine has been is mainstream. How many people use vitamins on a regular basis? How many yeah. people are looking at their gut microbiome? How many people go and buy yogurt, and how many people go and buy sauerkraut? How many people go, and, you know? And do all these different sorts of exercises, uh, you know, that's that's alternative to the way Australians were back in the nineteen fifties and sixties.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, I, arguably, you know, medical cannabis will not be necessarily alternative for very long on the, on the trajectory we're on. But, but um, yeah, what, what do you say? Do do you subscribe to the, you know the therapeutic efficacy, the thoughts of therapeutic efficacy around things like psilocybin and MDMA and um, LSD and things like this?
2: microdosing, absolutely. Under, under strict supervision, absolutely. Okay. I, 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 uh, I, I first uh, started uh, my interest in cannabis back in the 1980s when I was treating psychiatric hospital patients and trying to get them off alcohol, uh, heroin, and other, uh, dangerous, other, other dangerous drugs. one of the things that the the nuns in the hospital tolerated was the patients going out the back. They stay off their drugs. They were allowed to go out and have a smoke of weed. Now, I didn't necessarily approve of that, but I saw the ability of using uh, cannabis as an exit drug, not not as a gateway drug. Um, Interesting. When when I uh, first met uh, Amazon John, uh, John Easterling, the uh, husband of the late Olivia Newton John, He introduced me to not only uh, cannabis as a medicine, but also to hawaii and some of the other uh, uh, drugs used in South America that he'd actually tried himself uh, and looked at. Uh, And that opened up my mind to the other magic molecules that nature makes for us. And the condemnation, the abuse, uh, and sometimes the harms that come from it now, these are uh, plants uh, that are potentially toxic. Uh, and as we've always taught in medicine, "dose are solar facet vaninim. That's going back to the old Latin days, which means only the dose makes the poison. So I'm very much in favour of using these, but not in clinic at the moment until there's more known about, um, not in open clinics at the moment, but in controlled clinic situations. Uh, I've got every... Um, I've got a lot of interest in it because with the things that we're doing with nutrients and cannabis now, we can get some fantastic results. Um, But if we can actually see the brain reset with um, some of the other psychoactive um, uh, medicines, I I think we can achieve...
0: um,
2: achieve health levels for people where it's been hopeless mm. for chronic schizophrenics and chronic uh, bipolar patients and patients who've damaged themselves with other drugs. We mm. the, the brain. Um, yeah. It's been, it's yeah. Been, um, you know, the memory of being hit by a motor car and physically damaged uh, with severe pain syndromes occurring uh, and seeing and fearing um, the car coming to hit you every time you get pain or every time you go to bed and try to sleep uh, and that's like a recording a film going over and over and over in, uh, in your mind uh, and, and witnessing the re- relief of pain uh, and the relief of that memory the memory still being there, but not causing uh, a, a neurological and psychological and spiritual response to it is is it, it's something you just don't ever expect to see in medicine. But it happens, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's, uh, no, definitely. And, you know, the ability of these, they are powerful medicines, but the, you know, yeah, under the right conditions, we do just keep hearing about these profound breakthroughs that people have in in resolving root cause of, of various mental health issues. And, you know, it's much better to be, you know, having those kinds of experiences than, you know, decades muting the symptoms using, you know, the the sort of run of the mill um, antidepressant drugs that uh, really are a dime a dozen now and very easy to access um, when one goes to to a GP. But Look, we could go on for hours, uh, Ian and I. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll speak again, but I I, I might um, take the opportunity to wrap it up. But just to say thank you so much for for jumping on and and speaking with us and and speaking with, I guess the authority of of really decades in in the field of alternative medicine, where we are really grateful to um, to be speaking with you. And I think we we touched a few a few topics there, but um, you know plenty more to um to perhaps discuss when we when we next speak.
2: No, there sure is, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. And uh and Mitch, it's been nice to meet you both. Uh and I hope your audience uh um learns uh, a little out of what we've been talking about today.
1: Yeah, excellent. Definitely a lot of wisdom there. Thank you so much for I was gonna coming. say should I should
0: I do something legal and and end with a disclaimer, you know, go and speak to your doctor about whether vitamin yeah. C intravenous uh infusion is right for you or you know I, 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 I want, <laughs> i'm gonna go here um maybe just look after your health a little bit better um that that, that goes for me as much as anyone else but um but no th- thank you and we re- really appreciate it. and we will um endeavor to uh to speak again soon
2: okay thanks guys and uh, look after yourselves take care will thank too. you okay cheers bye
1: Bye. hey guys Andrew Dowling here Mitch Kurtz and thanks for joining us for another episode of the important podcast make sure to hit like and subscribe to stay up to date with all that we have coming all things old men, yeah that too okay <laughs>